Now, this evening here at Christchurch, we have the very first of our, our Christmas carol services, the, the first of many, as we've just been hearing about. It's true, isn't it, that many people love carols in the lead-up to Christmas. And I guess they go together, don't they? Uh, mulled wine, mince pies, and carols. Uh, they're on the radio, they're in the background as we shop, and somehow they remain capable of giving all sorts of people a warm glow inside even people who would never dream of describing themselves as Christian. Especially, I suspect, if they don't listen too closely to the actual words. So that's happening this evening. Uh, But in the mornings over the next two weeks, we're also going to be singing some carols together. We're going to be looking at what you might call the very first Christmas carols. Two songs from Luke's account of the very first Christmas. These are the originals, if you like. And we're going to be doing our very best to, look, to listen very carefully to the actual words. Now, I know we're stretching things a little, perhaps, in calling these carols. After all, these songs were sung many months before the actual birth of Jesus. But let's not be picky about this. Let's be happy to call them carols. A carol by Mary, the mother of Jesus, which we're going to be looking at this morning. And then a carol by Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, which we're going to look at next week. And as Luke takes us back 2,000 years to the very first Christmas, as we travel in our minds, the 2,000 odd miles between here and, and Galilee, what I think we'll see this week and next is this, that Luke seems to be using these, these two characters, Mary and, and Zechariah, and their songs to show us what a response to the good news of Jesus, the good news of Christmas, should look like. A Jewish response, first and foremost, but one that that we non-Jews, we Gentiles, can learn from too. And surprisingly, we'll come back to why this is uh, next week, of the two, it's actually Mary, the lowly, unknown young woman from the distant backwater of Galilee who is given pride of place by Luke. And this is her song. Why is it here? Well, I hope we're going to see that this this song is here as an example of confident belief in the Lord her God. Look with me at uh, verse 45, and you'll see that that's what Elizabeth, uh, Mary's relative, understood, was at the heart of Mary's experience. Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And it's that particular statement that provokes Mary to sing. And the song she sings expresses a confident belief that Luke, first of all, wants us to want. It's a common question at Christmas time, isn't it? What do you want for Christmas? If you're a bloke like me, you'll probably say, oh, I don't know, whatever. Now that's because what we really want, what we really want is a shiny new Jaguar. Um, But we know that that's kind of unlikely, uh, so we fake the modesty instead. And uh, we deserve every lurid, unwearable tie we receive. But what should we want? What should we want at Christmas time? What should we want full stop in life? Luke is telling us we should want what Mary has, as expressed in this song. And we should want the kind of personal experience of God's grace and mercy that lies behind this kind of confident, joyful response. That's the first thing. What's more, um, this is an example of confident belief that second shows us what God is truly like and what he's doing. 
In particular, it shows us the the big reversal or revolution that Mary herself has been caught up in. God casting down the self-reliance, the proud and the arrogance, and lifting up those who would humbly rely on him. And the song does seem to be split into two along those uh, two lines. We're going to listen to it this morning under two headings. First, uh, verses 46 to 50, wanting what Mary had. And this part of the song will show us Mary's personal experience and her praise. This is what Luke wants us to want. And then verses 51 to 55, seeing what Mary saw. And this part of the song will show us uh, what it is that Mary saw about what God is doing in general in the world. And this is what Luke wants us to see too. So let's take a look at the first half of the song, wanting what Mary had. And who wouldn't want whatever it was that brought Mary to cry out in praise and joy in the first two verses of this song? Uh, Look at at them uh, with me again from verse 46 in Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Now clearly something big has happened to Mary. And I think we can see that the experience has changed her. It has transformed, firstly, her soul. That is, we might say, her inmost identity, her psychology, who she is in herself, what it is that makes Mary, Mary. And what's more, it has revitalised her. It has revitalised her spirit. It has breathed new life into her. And her identity now is all about glorifying the Lord. Or as they had it in the older versions, I think quite rightly, it's all about magnifying the Lord her God. In fact, even as she sings, as we'll see in a moment, this is what she's doing. It's an odd idea, perhaps, um, magnifying a being who is already unimaginably great. But the issue is this. The issue is that Mary lived, as we do, in a world that has minimised the Lord, where proud people have ignored or suppressed him. And in a world like that, the Lord does need magnifying, which is what Mary is doing right here. As she sings, she is actively involved in causing the Lord to be held in higher esteem by the people who hear her. Wherever the Lord is absent in people's minds or thoughts or neglected or minimized, well, the song she's singing here presents him in his true size and true scale. And so, verse 47, she is now rejoicing in God. Or a better translation would tell us, she has now begun to rejoice in God because he has saved her. Because of her experience, because of the new life breathed into her, because of her salvation, she has begun to do what she was created to do, to rejoice in the Lord. But why is she like this now? That's something we want to, really want to know at this point, isn't it? Well, as I said, clearly something big has happened to Mary. Now, we had a particular story read to us earlier from Luke chapter 1, and you'll know it already, I guess, that God has sent an angel to tell Mary that she's going to be favoured or literally graced 
with a miraculous birth. She will give birth to Jesus, Son of the Most High, who will reign forever and whose kingdom will never end. And Mary has believed what she's been told. Now, at this point, you may well be thinking, um, well, you know, that's very nice, but what's that got to do with me? That's that kind of experience. It's surely not, some, nothing that, something that I can never have uh, to give birth to the Son of the Most High for all sorts of reasons. But it's interesting here that Mary doesn't refer to the particularities of her story in the song. Uh, Look with with me again at what she actually does say from verse 48. This is why she is glorifying the Lord. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. Why? For the mighty one has done great things for me. So this is the reason that she gives for her soul and spirit crying out in praise. The Lord God, her Saviour, has been mindful of her. Or better would be, he has looked favourably upon her. Her, his humble servant, his low status, lowly slave girl, literally. Why will future generations call her blessed? Because, she said, the mighty one has done great things for me. For me, even for me. That's the emphasis here. In other words, this is the joyful response of someone who knows, knows that she's nothing special. She's just a young girl from a provincial backwater acknowledging her low status before the Lord. But he has looked upon her and given her undeserved favour anyway. He has caught her up in his plan of salvation for the world. Now, within that, he's caught her up in a particular and unique way. It's the, uh, the mother of Jesus, that's true. But that's not really the point. The point here is that she's been caught up at all. That's what's making her sing. And look, and look with me what that allows her to do. This is the end of verse 49. It doesn't give her a kind of special or, or unique status. Rather, she joins in with a, a large group. She joins the many ranks of God's faithful people who over the ages have experienced something similar to what she's experienced. She joins in with them, singing, Holy is his name. His mercy extends to all those who fear him from generation to generation. Now I just want to pause at this point and deal with one issue this song may raise for you. Uh, You may well know that in some religious circles, Mary is given a a very special status over and above other members of God's faithful people. You may at this very time be receiving Christmas cards with with Mary given prominence, Mary at the centre. You may know people who have statues and, and pictures of Mary in their homes. Perhaps they even pray to her. And I'm conscious that there may even be people here this morning uh, with that kind of background. Well, I just want to ask you, based on the evidence of this song, what do you think the real Mary would say about all of that? What would she say about about all that Mary merchandise? I imagine the first thing she might say is, is that supposed to be me? And what would she say to the person worshipping her or, or praying to her? Well, I imagine, I imagine from the evidence here that she wouldn't mince 
her words. This is, this is a, you may have noticed, a very dynamic, punchy, active song. It, it suggests that, that Mary, there's something very distinctly tough about Mary. I get the impression that she was indeed a formidable young lady, a bit scary perhaps. And she would speak her mind on this issue, I am sure. Oh no, please tell me you're not doing that. What are you doing? Don't you understand what I was singing about? I wasn't praising myself. I don't want you to worship me. Come on. It makes as bad as much sense you praying to me as it would for me to pray to you. It's nonsense. Come on, let's try again. Let's worship and pray together. In fact, later on in the Gospel, Jesus himself will speak against giving his mother a special status. This is in Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. Uh, It's a situation where a woman in the crowd shouts out to Jesus and says, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth. And Jesus, in his reply, does what I think we've seen Mary herself doing here. He takes the focus off his mother and on to the Lord God, her Saviour. This is what he says. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So Mary's not here to be idolised or worshipped. Far from it. Far from it. That is no, by no means Mary's intention here. She's here to be copied as she worships the Lord. And given that, I've got uh, three more things to say quickly. Uh, before we move to the the second half of the song. Here's the first thing. First thing, I I want you to see again just how desirable this is. A life transformed like Mary's is a life less ordinary. You can see for yourself, she has real purpose in her life now, magnifying the Lord. She is now living her life Rejoicing, most of all, she has been looked upon with grace and favour by God. Looked upon by the Lord God Almighty. One of the roles I have to play as father of a near teenage daughter is reluctantly to watch the X Factor with her and make grumpy noises from time to time. That's what dads have to do. It's not a role I particularly relish, uh, but you know, it has to be done. And... A few weeks ago, they were showing some footage of the the band that you may have heard about called One Direction. They were walking through a department store and the cameras caught a girl. She's, in fact, probably not so different in age from from Mary as she was singing this song. But uh, the cameras caught this girl and she was screaming to her friend, He looked at me. He looked at me. But it doesn't really compare, does it? It doesn't really compare with being looked upon with genuine favour and grace by the Lord God Almighty and then being called blessed generation after generation. There was a survey in the news last week which you may have heard which suggested that many women spend more on themselves at Christmas than they do on other people. Apparently. I didn't quite believe this at first, but then the radio presenter herself admitted that she had just spent a small fortune on jewellery for the office party. Extraordinary thing, but there you go. That's what people do. But again, it doesn't really compare, does it? 
The kind of fleeting, grudging approval you might get from your peers at a Christmas party doesn't really compare with the eternal favour of the Lord. And finally, think again about just how desirable it is to be able to praise the Lord from the heart, from personal experience, as, as Mary is here. I was at a placement church at, at Theological College, and, and um, they, they chanted or, or said this song every week. Uh, you might know that this song is sometimes called the, the Magnificat, and it's part of evening prayer in the, in the Book of Common Prayer. So every week, people would read out this song together. But they would just sound so bored. Holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him, and so on. It was a very, very frustrating time. I felt like going along with a cattle prod, you know, wandering around, trying to get them to wake up. Probably not such a good idea on reflection. Some of them were quite elderly. <laughs> but how wonderful, how wonderful to be able to sing with Mary from the heart, from personal experience. It's enough to bring the, out the, the John Piper in me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And I, even I, am part of it. Praise God. That was the first thing. Second thing, you can seize hold of it. We can seize hold of it through the same kind of confident belief that Mary had. Now it needs to be said at this point that the the transformation such belief will, will bring may not be always quite as dramatic as it was for Mary. Now sometimes yes, sometimes yes. I think of uh, Sarah Edwards, wife of the great theologian Jonathan Edwards. For her at the age of 32, everything suddenly came together in her relationship with the Lord. And her husband Jonathan wrote a, a very careful scholarly account of it, saying the affections of admiration Love and joy have been raised to a higher pitch than in any other instances I have observed. So it can happen, yes. But mostly I suspect, no. I think we would have to say that usually the transformation is more gradual than this. It may well be that God has to humble us first, for example. Uh, Zechariah is a good example of this, so we'll come back to this next week. And I dare say that Mary herself went on to have more of that alternation between joy and grief. That is the, more the bread and butter of typical Christian experience. But I hope that you can see that nevertheless, nevertheless, this transformation is worth wanting. It is worth pursuing. It is worth seeking. It's worth struggling for. It's worth fighting for. And third thing, as we struggle for it, this is the joy. We can join in. We can join in with the noble task that Mary has been given and has taken on. We can start life again, as she did, with a new purpose, magnifying the Lord in a world that's trying to ignore him or minimise or suppress him. But for more on how to do that, we do need to read on in the psalm. Because in order to magnify the Lord properly, we, we need to see what she saw. We need to see what Mary saw. So let's look at a little more briefly this time 
at the second half of the song under our second heading, seeing what Mary saw. Now I think we can see that Mary is moving now from, from her personal experience to a more general, the more general experience of how God works in the world. So, for example, she's moving from what God has done for her, that's in verse 49, to what he is performing or doing more generally in the world, uh, that's in verse uh, 50, uh, 51. It's the same, uh, same verb in the original. Uh, more obviously in our translation, she's moving from what God has done for one humble individual, verse 48 that is, that's Mary herself, to how he lifts up the humble in general. You can see that in verse 52. Now our translation here has everything in verses 51 to 55 referring to the past. And now that might strike you, as it does me, a little odd because presumably what Mary's talking about is connected to this new thing that uh, God is doing through Jesus. In which case we might ask, well, what event exactly is Mary referring to when she says, for example, God has brought down rulers from the thrones. We might ask, well, when exactly did that happen? Which rulers? When? So it is worth saying at this point that the the original language of the Greek that this song was originally written in is somewhat more flexible uh, than English, and particularly more flexible in the way that verbs relate to time. There are, in fact, good arguments for translating all these verses, so verses 51 through to 55, in the present tense. This is what God is doing. There are even better arguments, for, in fact, for translating it in the future tense. This is what God is going to do. And the very fact that we can do that, we can think about it from all those different perspectives of time, does suggest that, that what Mary has seen is what you might call a, a God's eye view of history and the way that the Lord is working in history. These Things are what God has done, what he is doing, and now, and this is the emphasis perhaps, this is what he certainly will do. What has happened to Mary in the present reminds her of how God has behaved in the past, from which she concludes that this is certainly how he will behave in the future, just as he has promised to. As he has promised to. That's, the, that's the kind of logic here. And putting it like this emphasises the certainty of it. You can think of it this way. It's it's, it's as good as done. It's as good as done. But what is it that God has done, is doing, and now certainly will do? Well, you can see for yourself that it's very dramatic stuff. It's nothing less than world revolution. You might have thought that the Lord was absent or dormant in the world, but no. Where we have minimised him Mary is magnifying, showing the true scale of what he's doing. He's going to turn the world upside down. He's going to do it with mighty deeds of power, scattering the proud. Verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. This is what he did with the Tower of Babel, you may remember. They thought then that they could make a a name for themselves to rival God himself. But the Lord scattered them. And what what has happened to Mary convinces her that 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 this is 
now what he's going to do in all the world, just as he has promised to. And he's going to do it by reversing the proud and the humble. Verses 52 and 53. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. To think, for example, of Pharaoh at the Exodus, brought down. Think, on the other hand, of God's people redeemed from their slavery at that time, well-fed and, and, and wealthy as they are taken out of Egypt. Later in Israel's history, think of Sennacherib trying to invade Jerusalem, destroyed in his arrogance and pride. Think of greedy Belshazzar, pulled down from his throne. And Mary's own experience as a humble person, lifted up, convinces her that this is now what God is going to do, not just in these isolated incidents, but in all the world, just as he has promised. And we can say that these verses have a special emphasis in the song, because in the original, these are the only lines of the song, in fact, that rhyme. Uh, Here's my attempt to get that across. Also trying to get across that this is mostly focused on the future He will pull down the pretender kings and lift up the broken willed. He will feed the hungry with good things and send the rich away unfilled. Well, of course he will, Mary might say. Not only is that what he's done in the past, that, of course, is what he's always promised to do. You can see that here in verse 54. He's helped me, Mary's saying, And he will certainly help all of God's people who also are humble servants before him, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said or promised to our fathers. Now as we finish, I want you to imagine this. Imagine yourself stuck at the bottom of a rubbish heap. If you don't yet think this is a good metaphor for life, uh, then you're of a more optimistic disposition uh, than I am, and uh, I'm sure you will come round eventually. Anyway, you're stuck at the bottom of a rubbish heap, and uh, this being Christmas time, you are overwhelmed and smothered by the debris of Christmas. There are mouldy Brussels sprouts and half-eaten carcasses of turkeys. There's ripped up wrapping paper and flashing lights that no longer flash. There are presents that made your children cry because they weren't quite right. Presents you forgot to buy batteries for. Presents discarded after a single use. There are broken hopes upon you of family harmony. And these and many other anxieties in your life are obscuring your vision. You cannot really see what's going on. Now there are other people in the rubbish heap too. Above you, some people have pulled themselves up, pushing up off the people at the bottom, scrambling for relative position. In fact, someone's just used your head as a, as a stepping stone. You wonder at this moment where we should join in with this mad scramble to get up the heap. It kind of looks more comfortable up there. Perhaps it is. But actually, there is no way out in that direction. The heap is too big. 
It's humanly impossible to get out that way. Now, the only way out of this rubbish heap is down. And this is where Mary was, the lowest of the low, waiting, waiting for the Lord, waiting for the mercy that the Lord promised through Abraham years and years before. And she was there, she was there when the promise began to be realised. The Lord looked upon her lowly state with favour. He reached in and he pulled her out. Now she can see what's going on. Now she can breathe and sing. And isn't that what you want for Christmas? Our souls telling out the truth about God? Our spirits alive again? Beginning to rejoice in God our Saviour? And as we breathe in the clear air, we can let this be our song at Christmas. He will pull down the pretender kings and lift up the broken willed. He will feed the hungry with good things and send the rich away unfilled. Amen.